everyone welcome to the 349th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage here in beaverton oregon ready to talk about this in my opinion very 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 great draft that the portland trailblazers did i mean honestly it, it seemed like whatever i would do in a situation like if i had three options like you know, Chris Murray, Maxwell Lewis, whoever, Derek Whitehead. They picked one of the three, and, and it was like, oh, my God, competency in general management. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it was an absolutely banner day in Portland for the franchise. You look at what Joe Cronin has accomplished over the past two drafts, completely stocking the cupboards with with young assets on team friendly contracts, you go back to last year getting Shaden Sharp at seven, and then Jabari Walker mm-hmm. um, in the late fifties. This year, staying firm, taking the best player available, and Scoop Henderson at twenty three. Not just giving away that pick for a veteran, but finding value in a win now prospect in Chris Murray, and you can see directly the path to his NBA success. If you just look at how the Kings utilized his twin brother, they're very similar in skill sets. He all, you know, he offers, you know, the defense, the length, the the shooting, you get a generation, you get a generational leader in in Scoot Henderson and talent. And then you get a player at 43 who, I mean, it just, it screams Nicholas Batum vibes. Even Nicholas Batum, what was tweeting about Ray and Rupert saying, Hey, I, I remember 18 year old, you know, light-skinned Frenchman, uh, 6'9", you know, really super raw going to Portland. Like, that worked out pretty well, didn't it? And, yeah, it, it, it absolutely did. We got Nick Batum late in that first round back in 08. He ended up starting for a team that won 54 games the following season and was a pillar of a, you know, at least a six- or seven-year run in in Portland. Uh, so it's just an absolute home run draft. Like if if my draft grade for the Blazers is if you remember the movie Christmas Story when Ralphie is in one of his other fantasies and he turns in his theme about why he wants a red right a red rider you know um, BB gun and the teacher reads it and is like this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life and just starts going A plus 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 all the way around the the classroom. That is the grade that I would give the Portland Trailblazers. They could not have done anything better. There are zero complaints. I I am so elated with what they did on draft night. I was so ready to be hurt. I was so ready to be so ready to be hurt, bro. I like I I thought they were going to settle. I thought they were going to trade the 23rd pick for a Royce O'Neal type of player. They did what they had to do for the franchise. And when you have national respected media members like Adrian Wojnarowski, Zach Lowe, Jonathan Gavoni, championing this these picks. Gavoni said the Blazers had the best draft. Woj just went on multiple ESPN platforms and said, trading the th- number three pick for just one singular player would have been malpractice for that mm-hmm. franchise. Joe Cronin in that front office, they are the stewards of this franchise for the next decade. Damian Lillard is the steward for the franchise for two, three more years who who knows how long but th- there was a a definite end to when that ended but when you're in the front office you have a responsibility for the franchise to do what's best for that franchise and we talked about this a couple episodes ago about you know we always talk about Damian's legacy but what about Joe's legacy yeah. he's been with the franchise since like 2006 2007 he's finally getting his shot uh, he, it just he has to do something that he can look back on and say, this is what I accomplished. I didn't Mm -hmm. just do the status quo. I didn't just follow the marching orders and, you know, go, go the easy path and just kind of get taken advantage of. He, he really had, and I, I I feel, I felt really bad for him watching that press conference because the, the, the Portland media was just God awful. The, The questions were terrible. 
no questions about Chris Murray, no questions about Ryan Repair. Any question about Scoot was, well, he plays the same position as Dame. And in, when it should have been a night of celebration, a, a banner night in Portland, it was just doom and gloom and bitch and moan from these media members. And you could tell that he was so excited inside. Like they, they couldn't believe that Scoot Henderson fell mm-hmm. to them at number three. And yet he had to go up there and just kind of like take take like the tomato to the face, like or the water tank and, and you know, get dunked on. And it was it's kind of bullshit because he did a fabulous job. And it's I don't think people really realize how badly Neil Olshay messed up this franchise. It was a decade plus of malpractice. He is he is he is cleaning up everything that Neil Olshay did. And, you know, don't be mad at, at Joe if the Blazers didn't get immediate help. Be mad at Neil for not doing it sooner. Like this is what I mean. It, it's just you're you're missing. You know, media members aren't watching French basketball one, G League Ignite, or honestly, Iowa. Are See, they really it, watching it any of these prospects outside of taken. Wimby? It what? wouldn't have mattered who they had taken unless it was Victor Wembanyama because they they didn't know they didn't understand. They are trying to get clicks, get get a narrative. And it's really frustrating that the, the Portland media has always been against the Blazers. You go back to the Oregonian pre-internet, like just always against the Blazers. Even during like the 91 uh, playoff run, you had dual columns, basically Rick Adelman's writing, but then they also had like Bill Walton, just like back when Bill Walton was not in flavor with this franchise, just talking immense amounts of shit. And you have other sports cities where they kind of protect their teams. And it's it's the Portland just doesn't get any love. We're one one horse town, and everything's under a microscope. And I just I, I felt for Joe because he did he he took one for the proverbial team. Like he he did what he felt was best when it probably was the unpopular choice amongst the fan base. Bro, but, you you, know, you saw how you saw the reactions to three to twenty three to even forty three. People were upset, and it's just like another guard. First of all, Rain repairs. He's forward, a wing, first so and foremost. Do yeah. your, your research before g- getting upset. Yeah, and watch secondly, him for literally a second, and you're like, he's not a guard. Age, I, I tweeted this out, but like watching the reactions unfold in real time when they took Scoop, I was like, y'all would have been just raging in 1984 if Portland drafted Jordan when you had all star Jim Paxson and f- first round pick Clyde Drexler from the year before. Like you would have been raging. Joe Cronin is trying to atone for some of those mistakes. You take, he said it, you take the best player available and you figure it out. Talent wins. And you know, it, it, it's kind of like when I do DFS and I I make a projection, like someone's questionable and they turn out out. I'm like, damn it. These people shouldn't be able to <laughs> use this play. You know, these people, once they see Scoot Henderson play, all of this negativity that I've seen online is it, it, it's going to stop. You know what I mean? Like they, most people haven't watched G League Ignite and don't know the star caliber that he is. Like, I mean, G League Ignite is, just isn't popular yet as an entity. So I get why people may be upset, but. Once you see him in summer league, and once you see Shaden Sharp potentially in summer league, all of the, all, it's going to be a humongous change in you know fan attitude. I, I get it. These players didn't take the most normalized way of becoming a pro. I don't even years it will be. Better. I don't even think it's that though, Sage. Like I, I think people would have been upset with anything because it didn't anything that didn't involve a a win now player. And I I keep hearing the the phrase, like, I just wish they would have taken a swing. I I don't, I don't like that analogy for a, a number of reasons. One swinging just to swing that that's malpractice, right? Ask Minnesota, ask Cleveland, about how they feel a year later after taking that swing because both franchises are worse off. They would have been better just staying pat. Second of all, second of all, and most importantly, Sage, there was no hittable pitch to swing at. We were like Barry Bonds 
prime getting ready to break the home run record and the, the the all of the offers intentionally walking why are you swinging at a pitch that's they're throwing you a ball that they they're trying to get you to mess up there was no hittable pitch out there and you saw the report start to fall in like whether or not you feel the blazers would have been better off with with one player or not i personally didn't think they were but if if you really wanted a, a player now the the nets were not trading mikhail bridges they don't own their own future first round picks they didn't want to take a step back they wanted to at least stay neutral for a while because they, there's there's no incentive for them to tank the Boston Celtics are going all in. They just got Chris Stapps Porzingis. They, they want to lock in Jalen Brown. They, they've been in the finals two years ago in the Eastern Conference finals last year. You have the Toronto Raptors who, one, have, it's been said that Masai Ujiri is difficult to, to, to deal with and that Pascal Siakam's agent is telling you, I'm not going to resign with you. If you trade for me, I, I'm going to test the free agency market. And again, malpractice to trade a number three pick for a guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and you're not getting any validation that he is going to re-up with your franchise, then, then you're starting to, to really go down the list of Paul George. You really want to trade for 33-year-old Paul George mm-hmm. who can't stay healthy? You really want to trade for Zion Williamson? It's not just going to be the three pick and Yusuf Nurkic. There's rumors they wanted Shaden Sharp and Amber oh, as well. From what you're, I heard, Shaden would like... It w- it was three and Shaden plus Nurk plus something else like yeah, and going to su- the the Suns. So DeAndre do that. Go somewhere. One, you're fully depleted, and two, you're. We we've seen the story with Greg Oden before. Like Port- Portland absolutely could not have afforded to take that that risk. Even if you even if you do get healthy Zion, the whole point of having Zion would have been to have him with Shaden Sharp once Damian retires, right? So there just there was no hittable pitch, and, and and I understand Blazer fans who are upset. I, you know, I think we were kind of seeing people kind of going through those five stages uh, of kind of like grief last night, and, and I I s- sympathize with that. I, I think there, and I, I was texting you this. I have a theory why there is such an attachment to Damian Lillard in this in this franchise and i think it goes deeper than just him being loyal and him being a, a fantastic ambassador and a great basketball player see if you think about it the blazers have not been a championship contender for 23 years that's 2000 when i was a fan i started getting into basketball when i was five years old first blazers you know 1990 from 1990 to 2000 there was an 11 year stretch the blazers made the conference finals in five of those 11 years I grew up on contending basketball teams. My memories are from teams that contend. People who are damn near 30 years old, they have not been cognizant of a contending Blazers roster, right? The Blazers have not been a contender in their entire lifespan. You can't say they were a contender in 2019 because you got swept. So your memories are of, of Brandon Roy and Damian Lillard and all these individualized performances because the team's success has just not been there. So I think that's where... This attachment, especially with the younger fan base, comes in is because those are their childhood memories. That's what they lean on. And again, I I respect that. And nobody wants Dame to leave. But on the other hand, you, you can't make a mistake to appease a player who then, what if he doesn't like the, the, the how the team's going at the deadline? What if he's like, now I'm going to go leave next next summer? Now you're really up up a creek without a paddle, right? You have to, sometimes you have to do the, the, the tough thing. And, and I think that's what, what Cronin did because there were, in my opinion, like we, we talked about this, I think pretty frequently since the trade deadline, like lead, leading up to the end of the season and the draft lottery about, you know, how, if Portland did want to go all in, how could they do it? And there was just so many avenues that they didn't have. They didn't have assets to their own draft. They didn't have access to their own future draft picks. They didn't have future contracts to trade. Like you, you, you make a trade and you add in Damon or Nurk and Ant. That's it. You can't do anything else. There, there are three pivotal points that I think have led Portland to this point. And it, it's more than just the 2017 draft. It's more than the 2016 offseason. The three recent pivotal points over at least the last 18 months the first domino was, I think, that Larry Nance trade that Neil O'Shea made. It, it blocked the future first round picks. 
that Portland could use. Okay. So in that same season, you have Dame finally deciding to undergo surgery. And that leads to your first tank. Well, what does ownership not want to do when you're tanking? They don't want to pay luxury tax. That's one thing they will never sign off on. So that led to the shipping off of tradable contracts and Robert Covington and Norman Powell. And now you are in this storm of this perfect storm of not being able to move now, even if they wanted to, there's no way they could have done more than one move. They, they just, they didn't have anything at, at their disposal. And in a way, I think Joe Cronin could probably send Neil O'Shea a thank you card for that Larry Nance trade, because that is the perfect excuse not to go all in. Like, hey, I I'm, I don't have access to my picks and I, I don't have the assets to pay Chicago a premium to get those picks back and then to spend those picks. So, you know, I think Joe Cronin and company saw the writing on the wall. And I think, you know, sometimes we talk about it's better to be lucky than good. Obviously, Masai Ujiri last year asking for Josh Hart and the seventh pick for OG. I think teams lowballing Portland this year. You know, sometimes it's just better to be lucky than good. The Spurs were lucky getting Wemby. Sometimes it's just better to be lucky. And I think Portland was, they lucked out. The, the future of Shaden and Scoot adding in Murray repair. Uh, and you still have ways to get get better long-term. Uh, unbelievable. But that that's just kind of like where I think everything came to a head, right? There's so many different places out there that allowed Portland to make this decision to go with with Scoot Henderson. Like there was never, I think, any path to win for Damon. And and I I understand people are like, well, they've Joe Cronin in the marketing department, they've continuously said we're gonna win with Dame, we're gonna build around Dame. I think they tried, but also what what do you want them to say? We're we're trading Dame. No, they they're they don't want to come out and say that. They don't want to be the bad guy. And Dame doesn't want to be the bad guy either. We've talked about that's my been my theory for a couple of years now. And you saw that on draft night. You saw that in the press conference, you know, leading up, it was Dame says, oh, it's all in Portland's hands. Portland says, well, we're going to take three rookies. And now Joe Cronin says, well, it's up to Dame. We want him to retire as a blazer, but it's up to him now. So they're definitely playing a game of cat and mouse to see who blinks first. Um, I personally think Dame probably gives this, this bunch at least a year, but we, we will see. Um, but, Can we yeah, talk the, about the picks? Like, God damn, we've said this shit for fucking years, man. But no, no, Sage, this is important. This it's is not, important. man. Like, yes, no one Sage, wants to yes, hear this shit. This is like, very important for our listeners. A lot of people have an attachment to this player, and I'm trying to break down why it led us to this moment, because it's important. It's important. But yes, we can go on, but yeah, it's, it's fucking important, dude. I, I dog. We said this two weeks ago. I, I vividly remember this. It's about excitement. It's not about. But we're going to get more listeners. So maybe we get some new 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 people to come in on the show. I just want to like, you know, we got a request. It was like, people- no, it's cool, but I don't want to talk about uh, the past and the failures. We have three new draft picks to talk about where like there there's positivity. Like. Like it. I get it. Positivity, dog. I started the the podcast off elated. I still am elated. Then let's fucking talk about the picks, man. This we is have just like been. we did a future Friday on Scoot. We did a future Friday on Murray. We talked about repair. We're gonna get into it, but like you got to talk about the past to talk about the future. This has always been the what we do here. But yeah, okay, let's then go. I'm, th- go for it. I I don't care. Go for it. I'm done. I just okay. Then the let's talk about the picks. Shit. Like, I'm just saying that I've been we we have talked about this shit forever. Cronin did a fantastic job of this draft. So let's talk about the the picks and talk about the excitement of potentially seeing Scoot and, and Shaden and having a role player like Chris Murray. I thought you were going to go into it. I was letting you, I talked for like a, a shit and I was going to like, I know I got bored and I, I I feel like the, the fans don't want to hear this shit. They want to hear about the picks. I, I mean, I see that's where, our, that's where we disagree. I think the fans do because that's all I'm seeing. Like it was Sage. This was such a, a fantastic night. It should have been like the past two drafts. 
hopefully will go down in like Blazers like lore of like when we're title contenders in five to seven years, because I, I believe we will be because they set up the foundation blocks. We're going to look back at these nights with positivity, just like we looked, you know, almost like a complete opposite of what we looked back to 2016 and 2017. Where it's like, oh, shit, that's what really stubbed our toe. We're going to look back at 2022 and 2023 and say, that's these are the moves that got Portland to where they want to be. Um, obviously, there is um, a log jam right now at guard. You have Dame, Scoot, Ant, and Shaden. I think that's going to get worked out. Um, I think even if they had drafted Brandon Miller, they'll probably look to move Simons. Um, I, I think they picked Scoot to play alongside Shaden Sharp. And I don't think you want to move Shaden up. I think he's just dominant at that shooting guard position. He gives you such great size. But what I love about Scoot is he compliments Shaden. Where Shaden is kind of quiet, he's like more of the Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard. You get that Manu Ginobili, just like fierce, fiery guy in Scoot Henderson, that Russell Westbrook bravado. Like he's he's been ready for this moment. He's been ready to lead a team. He's he's your your floor general at the most you know impactful position in terms of of leadership. He's going to get people to their spots. He's going to know when to get to the cup. Um, he's going to make life easier for everybody and. I, I loved the Chris Murray pick because you're going to watch him spread that floor and you're not going to want to leave off of him. So not only does that allow driving lanes for, for scoop, but it allows it for Shaden as well. You can run some action. He's good off of the catch and shoot. Um, there are still some, some holes to fill for this roster. I think long-term they need to find, even in the short term, they need to find a center, a center that's going to fit Billups, system, a, a center that's going to be mobile a center that is going to be able to defend and not need a lot of usage and be um, healthy. I, th- I, th- I mean, Nurk's. Well, I think Nurk's health, just like after that injury, it's just never, even when he was healthy, he's, he's just, he lost that, that just like pure. Well, remember when you talked about how Zion needs to play like once a week. Yeah. Nurk probably, if we're trying to, if he's trying to play more than 40 games, he probably has to cut down his, his time on the court because like that's a big body with a a lot of weight on it. So yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think the Chris Murray pick was really important because you got the, you, you got the superstar. You need to get guys that know the role and star in that role. And I, I see that people had like Chris Murray was safe. He, there was people with higher upside. And I, I mean like, yeah, Bryce Sensible has a higher upside than Chris. Sure. But he also but he has a much a a lot less safety in his his game. Like all he does is score. All he and does Portland, is Portland needs some defense. Like you have to yeah. put up. <laughs> you need some defense and some size. You can't just keep taking guards. And and he provides the safety of like okay he, he I don't think he ever has star potential. But you don't always need ten stars. That's no, just you don't not... win with ten stars. You win with. The right mix. Look at look at Denver. Denver is the perfect example. And, and with the new CBA, you only really can have two stars. You need to have cheap prospects that like if Chris Murray gets paid like four million dollars a year, he's providing a service of a guy that pays twelve million dollars a year, like or the full MLE. If we're going with that, like he's providing an MLE service for a rookie contract, rookie scale contract uh, price point. So. Like, even if he doesn't have a star power, I'd much rather, I feel so much safer with Chris because I know that he's going to fit in a role. Like, Bryce, for example, he needs to have a lot of usage. He needs to have a lot of, like, I we're not going to be able to give somebody a lot of usage if they have Scoot and and, and, and Shaden and, and Jeremy Grant for for a while and Damian Lillard for a while. Bryce Sensible would be an awful fit. You have Chris who, yeah, he's safe. But then at 43, you take you take the risk. So you have the safety plus the absolute high high value guy if if shit doesn't doesn't work. So I, I think that the Murray pick, albeit safe, it was just like, okay, there's confidence. You don't always need to take an upside swing. No. 
at 23, you're just, you're hoping he plays basketball for four years. Like we can name like a million 20 to 30 players that aren't there or shit. They probably are 14 to 18 because they're young and have potential at 23. You just want a guy that can play basketball. And I know JJ Redick was talking about it. These older prospects know their role and can play fit into a role. It, it isn't, it isn't all about like superstar upside shit. If, if, if all the players turn into superstars, like if it was NBA 2K, you're not even going to have enough um, playing time plan. So really Chris Murray, could, Chris Murray could start in three or four years and be that wing that, that people are like, we need to trade Anthony Simons for a, a wing. Well, yeah, we probably do. But if Chris Murray becomes that, that fifth starter, or fourth starter on a a playoff team, just like his older brother. Do we? Re- I don't. I feel like a guy that can get you ten points on really good shooting and play good defense. Shit, everybody's looking for that. Every single team is looking for multiple guys. Like the the Bucks traded like four second round picks for Jay Crowder. That is a that archetype that Chris is 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 a highly highly useful in this league so I, I i know that i know that the the swing for the fence is with 23 i saw it but i i i think the safety of of chris murray at 23 was highly highly important for us yeah you need players who know their roles you can't have everyone going in there with scoots bravado and charisma like that's you need a, a leader and everyone to fall in behind uh and that's that's really where murray shines he's he's not going to demand the ball he's going to do the dirty work he's going to play solid defense smart defense off ball non-ball effort and he's, he's going to knock down shots like you're you need players like that like look the, the miami heat were littered with players mm-hmm. like that like smart teams win with smart players who make smart decisions you it, know it's, like the it's heat, as easy as that you mentioned the heat they're like they're like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays of, of the NBA, where they they just find these guys that perform a role, and you know, just like Tampa, they find guys out of nowhere. I feel like this draft and last draft was us building out our minor league staff, like getting that Triple A team ready. So when when a Damian Lillard or when a Jeremy Grant or Yusuf Nurkic goes we have somebody that's established to bring them up so i feel like this is the these two drafts were really important for our are the stability of our franchise when they do make a a uh a move or something happens that we don't know about like you know now now if 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 uh nasir little gets hurt like he always seems to, to do we have chris murray right there you know probably playing some G league, but once, once the opportunity hits, he's there. So I feel like this was really a good draft for filling out that, that end of bench, the, that, that rotation, especially with, you know, the older players on our roster, like this was important for the development of, of the team now and in the future. And also, uh, uh, the repair pick was wonderful, especially knowing that his agent was like, don't draft him. Portland's got him. We got a multi-year deal locked up even better that they've got a G League team right here in North Portland that you're going to be able to develop him under your own system. You got Pujeter leading that that charge. You think who, he just go, do you think he just goes straight to G League? Oh, since there God, isn't, yes, please. Yeah. He's wrong. Yeah, there just there him. isn't I a role him. for him to develop. So I'd rather him like learn in game how to be a a pro or like an yeah, American he, pro. He needs time. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a purely upside pick. But a guy I had in, in the twenties, like Chris Murray in the twenty top twenty yeah. repair top twenty. Scoot was my number two prospect. Like I, it's it's unreal how. It felt like just like I had to, I got like pinched myself this morning. I was like, did did last night really actually happen? It was, it was legitimately like a well researched person was in charge of our franchise, like competency in every single pick. You know, like Neil O'Shea in some of his moves 
you had to really like you had to really think why does this make sense for us but with with what cronin did last year and this year it's like this is an obvious selection here this is an obvious he fits a role that is really i mean how many six eight dudes are on our team right now it's only like three so to get to get size at the wing like we we see where it's going like these larger initiators are just going to be dominating the league yeah we have a six two guy that's going to be our future and that's great but you need guys to defend those six eight guys scoo henderson has no chance defending a 6'8 Jason Tatum or a 6'8 Luka Doncic. But you know who does? A Chris Murray that's been doing it. Like So to, to just get active and accurate size on this team, and like, yeah, Ryan Rupert might not be good enough to be on our roster, but what if he is? We got a starting caliber small forward that probably is going to take a portion of the MLE like Gary Trent Jr. if they're talking multiple years. Like, so you're putting yourself in such a good position. Like, I, I, I would be very, very excited to see what happens with Ryan in, in that in that development with Pujita. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to see. Like, there is no space for him right now on this roster. But having the G League in North Portland is just such a huge advantage for us with with the development. Like, if we had it, Greg Brown would still be on the on the at least a part of the team. You know what I mean? I know. I I, I don't know about Greg Brown, but I get your but, sentiments. But the tenth man on the G League, like he would still he was he's gonna do excellent in China or wherever. But like, I think we can take more chances on players because we have a development staff where they're learning Portland scheme and not Cleveland's or wherever. Uh, we we brought brought our guys. I think they were in Ohio, but like it really gives them a chance to take more chances. Like Keon would be so much in in such a better place with the G League because he needs playmaking reps. I mean, he's not going to get them now, but with this team, but like he needs playmaking reps. So the fact is, we could have made our roster so much better with this G League. So I'm very excited to see what. Uh, Ryan can do with this this roster like I, I want to see some fight out of the Frenchman for sure all right let's get into some fan questions then we will talk about our winners and losers from draft night um question from uh it's at the Blazers fan but I want to say the person's name I think it's Leo and I apologize if I get that wrong but it's from at the Blazers fan Better prospect coming into the NBA, Paolo Bancaro or Scoot Henderson? Scoot. No. I think it's um, it's comparable. Scoot's had more long-term hype. We've known about Scoot for, for two years now. I truly do think he got hampered by he got hampered by Wimbanyama's shadow. Like I, I really do think he's the number one overall pick in probably 80, 85% of drafts. Um, Bancaro, it was really a debate between he or Jabari Smith or, or Chet. Chet um, yeah. He had some hype. Obviously, he went to Duke, um, which bolsters it. But I, I think Bancaro was a little bit closer to like a Blake Griffin um, coming out of Oklahoma as a prospect, like pretty much a slam dunk, number one. But like Scoot's been talked about in draft cycles for – multiple years now and that's something we hadn't heard from a blake or or a paolo um so i would i would give the nod to scoot in that one i did a nba uh franchise thing on 2k three years ago i knew about scoot henderson i had no fucking idea who paolo bancaro is like I, i i think paolo's a really good prospect but in terms of first overall picks i'd put him at like a an a tier i think that Scoot is in where I thought Cade Cunningham was, where I thought Zion was. I, th- I think it's just a level where Scoot is at compared to where Paulo is. And and Paulo's really skilled and has things that can change, you know, where power forwards are going. But Scoot's just like has everything in his game. 
Paulo just, I mean, there, there's still issues with Paulo. You're talking about a guy that hasn't really learned how to play winning basketball yet. And I guess that's the same with Scoot, but I'm willing to bet on Scoot being a whole nother tier above where Paulo is. All right, we got uh, two similar questions, so I'll, I'll read them off in full, but we will answer them as one uh, from our guy Peter at Rip Citizen. Hopefully the both of y'all replenished all bodily fluids after yesterday's draft. Wondering <laughs> if there's Peter, a way to look into Dame's performance on ball versus off ball. And then Justin at JS Burnin says, I'm excited by Scoot. Obviously the Dame situation is tricky, but if Dame stays forever, how long, how do you see them playing together at the same time? How do their games complement each other or do they? Dame's not really an off ball guy. Love the pod. Uh, thank you both for those questions. Sage, I'll give you a first credit at that how do they complement each other can dane play off ball uh how does this work obviously the blazers want it to work how how does it work at least in your like one I, I, I think first of all you have to have you have to have scheme it so one of them is always on on the floor at all times so you have an elite playmaker so the times wouldn't be as as much with one of them or with both of them on the court uh, obviously they they play some time together but I think that when they're separate, it's their team. Like your Dame is the is him, Scoot is him during those times. But when together, I, I assume that Scoot is just the off-ball shooting guard that uses his ability to cut off ball and you know use his athleticism. I think Dame, because of who he is, is gonna be the lead playmaker when they're both on the court. But I think that it's important for Chauncey to have them as separate as as possible so a it lets dame play less because he's playing so many damn minutes and then it gives scoot and then shaden more time with the ball so what i would do is make sure that they have their times where they're the that they're the alpha and then when, when they're together i think scoot has to take a back seat and i think scoot knows that this is damien's team for at least the foreseeable future so I, I would I would separate them as uh, plenty. One trend I'm noticing taking over in the WNBA is putting as many ball handlers on the court as possible. You saw it with the Las Vegas Aces last year when Becky Hammond moved in, bringing uh, Kelsey Plum from the bench to the starters role. Yes, she's more of a shoot first, but she's got point guard handles. And then they, they have Chelsea Gray, who's probably, I think, the best pure point guard mm-hmm. in, in the W. Then you look at what the New York Liberty did this year under, you know, Sandy Brondello. They had Sabrina Unescu, uh, triple-double god at University of Oregon. They moved her off ball, and they brought in Courtney, Courtney Vandersloot, also coached by Kelly Graves um, at, at Gonzaga and uh, coached Sabrina at Oregon. So you have these two ball handlers on the floor at the same time because – and I think this is where – Dame used to get really bogged down, especially in the playoffs, would, would be – there was never another – pure decision maker on the court with him cj had a handle but cj really wasn't a decision maker cj had he one thing behind yeah he didn't get the chance to really be the the guy he is in new orleans he wanted to score mm-hmm. and obviously we never didn't we didn't have a, a big man to play the short role so i think by having them on the court at the same time you're adding additional true playmakers who know what to do with the ball in their hands um who plays off who plays on I probably think Scoot's a little more off just because of his athleticism. I do agree on uh, kind of uh, staggering their minutes as much as possible. Uh, we got to realize Dame's never had a true backup point guard in Portland. Never. Like we've always, it's always been trying to pigeonhole these two guards into playing backup point guard minutes. Like is Mo Williams really the best backup point guard he's played with? And that was like 10 years yeah. ago in 2014. Uh, so not only do you get we saw how badly Portland got killed with, with Dame's off, 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 off the floor minutes. Like when he went off the floor, teams won the runs, lights out, game over. So you have an actual real point guard that can play while he takes some time. Dame's going to need to take games off, not minutes yeah. off, games off. They're going to need to load manage him as he turns 33 uh, going into his, like, what, 13th season. How many minutes are you trying to see him play? Like, he needs to be 32, 30? 34. You got to go. You got to do what the Steve Kerr and the Warriors are doing with Steph. Gotta yeah, I mean, you have, you currently have Ant and Shaden and Scoot. 
all of them need playmaking reps. Fuck it. Like if he if he doesn't play in, you know, if it's a four games week, if he misses a game, I think that that's really beneficial for those guys that need like Ant needs playmaking reps. I don't like, think it will be in Portland, but yes, I do. I do agree. No, but I mean, for his if we're looking at Ant Simons, his development, he needs these. So if if it's if Dame sacrificing one game a week could help Ant, Scoot, and Shaden, that that's going to be really important. So, I, I, but yeah, I, I think I think that Chauncey's going to have a have to handle this correctly with all of these dudes needing playmaking minutes. This is a little bit into the future. I think we're going to get to it in, in July. But if you want to either touch on it lightly or or not, that's fair. We can revisit this. But our our guy has been coming in, um, or I don't know if it's a guy. Our, 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 our friend of the pod has been just hitting us up with some great questions. So I want to at least acknowledge it. Uh, at GN Stoymanov, um, basically just wants to know like what are what are your realistic like small forward power forward center targets with the current assets um maybe uh free agency uh he kind of likes the idea of you know maybe going after deandre hunter figuring a way to get cam johnson from the brooklyn nets jared vanderbilt because they kind of work with both of the timelines um i would say that i am really stoked like i want to do what we can to get jared allen i think jared allen makes a lot of sense as a win now and as a, a future player, like he drafted in 2017. Plus the, 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 the dude is just awesome. I think he's a great rim protector. He's athletic. He can defend the hell out of the basketball and you want to find players like him where the talent is obviously there, but it's a bad fit. Like they, it didn't work in Cleveland with, with he and Mobley going big, like they kind of got exposed. So can you take advantage of that? Um, I would also say that I know you don't want to talk about Dame, but Everything kind of depends on what direction Dame gives them because, and I hope they figured out before July one, because you Jeremy Grant is a free agent. You definitely want to know Dame's intentions before offering the bag to Jeremy, because I think Dame's decision predicates what you do with Jeremy and then predicates how you want to uh, utilize the mid-level exception. But I don't know if they'll have the full mid-level because they probably will be giving some to Ray and Rupert. Yeah, I think they're splitting it. And, um, but I, I definitely do see the need for an adult at the small forward that you can. Count I don't. On. I, I don't want Hunter. He's uh, he's getting paid real money, and he's never been healthy. Um, who are I the like other options? Cam. I don't think. Cam, I think Cam's too highly valued. In uh, I, I think you got to. Much as I hate saying, I think you got to go to the Neil Olshay special and just kind of go bargain bin shopping. Like what last year, you were on Bruce Brown before everybody else was on Bruce Brown. You got to find this year's Bruce. Yeah, Brown. yeah. yeah you I mean, pay, you can't pay this year's Bruce Brown price for Bruce Brown. You got to find 2022 summer Bruce Brown. Um, and it's it's tough though. I went through the 2023 free agency list on ESPN. Boo-boo. It's not good. Um, there are some centers that, that I do like. Like Xavier Tillman has a team option in Memphis. What if they decline that? I think that's a cheap, solid backup center. Uh, my personal favorite, what? bring back Mason Plumley. Going to be cheap, plays decent defense, rim runs, and is an awesome decision maker in the short role. Um, still pretty athletic, and I think he's kind of buried in that just super deep Clippers team. I could see why he wouldn't want to maybe play on a rebuilding team, but I, I, I love him. I think he fits with either Dame or just Scoot. Um, and then maybe take a flyer on a guy like Dwight Powell, um, hyper athletic and might've fallen out of flavor in Dallas, especially after they just got Rashawn Holmes and the injury issues. Yeah. So I think that's another buy low guy. Like, so those are some of the ones that I like, if you want to raid Washington, um, you know, just like everyone is kind of like scavenging them. Daniel Gafford. Do you th- okay. Are, are- do you think we're compete like competing for a playoff spot now? Depends on the end. So I, I will say this. I was one of the only people after everybody left in 2015. Six out of the seven top scores left. I was one of the only people like the Blazers are going to be good and fun this year. What the fuck did they do? They went to the second round of the playoffs. I think you have legit 
roster balance. If you can get roster balance, you're healthy. I do think they will compete for the plan. Okay. I think rookies can help you win. Like if we started Shaden and gave him the minutes that he got the last 10 games, we're a much different team. Like you need to let these, they're they're young, but they can still shine. So when you were talking about rating Washington, I was assuming that you're going with Denny, right? It's a possibility. I don't see. I don't think they're going to give up younger players, but I think they could give up a guy like Gafford. Because I don't think Denny is good on a shitty team. You need you need him to be on a good team where him doing all the blue collar stuff actually matters. Him doing it on the Washington Wizards is kind of a waste because they're going to be the worst team easily. So that's where I was thinking, like, because if we're if you're thinking playoffs, Denny is a good choice. But if you're thinking we're full rebuilding, I don't want a guy that does blue collar shit and is like a win now piece. Well, I think the goal should be to compete. Like, I don't one the 2024 draft is nothing special. From all I've researched, there's no benefit in trying another tank to get a guy like scooter shading like it's just maybe it happens maybe it doesn't but i think there's only one elite guy and then his name's ron hollins and he's on g league ignite yeah there's like i think you have talent to do like this new draft reminds me so much of the rise with us blazers like you get b roy you get lamarcus then you win the draft lottery and then you take nicholas batum the, the next year like you start to really build out this this fun young bunch but what was awesome about that team was they still went like 41 and 41 and then they went to 54 wins. So I think you've, you've tanked for two years. I think I want to see some positive signs, like win as much as you can. It, like I want to make the playoffs, give, give that shitty pick to Chicago. They can have the 16th or 18th pick. You're done. Now you've got your own picks available. You give it to them in the, one of the weaker drafts in, in history but now you're starting like if we could get like you've got your found you've got your foundational building blocks in scoot and shaden that's what i've been asking for begging for you've got those guys now it's time to get them some winning experience and now you can start to trim around the edges you've got your dudes like if they hit you've got your batman and robin then you can start to fill out the rest of the roster like i honestly feel like the hard part is over if these guys hit you don't need to go find top 10 players anymore like they will become them what so, do you think Cam Whitmore is gonna take Tari Evans's role? Tari Eason? Tari fuck. Tari Eason? Yeah. Tari Eason is like the first dude I thought of. I was like, I would love him at small forward. Yeah. Because Cam, I mean, Cam's a better prospect. Outside if, of the if epic we had, ball. If we had our 2024 pick, I would have traded it right now for, for Tari Eason. Yeah. Cause because that's I know he's not a vet but i feel like he fits the role that is very very difficult and because of the uh the rockets just getting so many young players in in the in the draft and they still will be getting people in the draft there's going to be young guys like tari or uh jay sean tate that are going to need new homes i would love to be in the in the hunt for them but if we're talking about a vet small forward isn't the best free agent right now like Kelly Oubre? Yeah, and I, I don't think he fits either time. I, I don't think he's a... He's just a stopgap. Yeah, I, I'm not... Uh, no. I don't think this is the year to try and find our vet small forward. Hopefully Jeremy Grant can... Ha- like, if we re-sign Jeremy Grant, he can be that guy. But, yeah, I, right now all I see is Houston and, like, like one of those wings. I would like one of those wings to to but that th- I mean that that's the opposite of that. That's a young dude that's trying to uh find his I would place. call a guy like in college they say a freshman by the end of the season's already a sophomore. Like when tournament time comes that they're a sophomore. Like they've been tested. Like Tari Eason got a lot of playing time last year. I don't think he's a vet, but I think he's by the by the halfway point of his sophomore year, you can say he's a young vet. He's he's got a lot of run. He knows how to play the NBA game. Like that doesn't mean like DeMar DeRozan or somebody who's played like a decade plus in the league. Like you can still find younger players who can win now, but fit, but they have longevity. Like young players, like Shaden Sharp helped the Blazers 
when he got an opportunity. Like the just because I think there's just like an ageism against young guys, and it, it, it's it sucks. But I, I'm stoked. I have a like I said, it reminds me like this is one of the most exciting times that I've been a fan. It reminds me when we have all those young players in like 06, 07, 08 making those runs. Like you thought the sky was the limit, and the only thing that could tear tear down those that team was injuries. Unfortunately, it did, but. Um, I thought was, Tari Easton was younger than 21. I was I was going to say, you ain't a vet until you can go to a bar and get a drink legally. But he is 22. I forgot he was a sophomore at, at LSU. Yeah, uh, so um, let's let's talk about some winners and losers from draft night and then, then wrap this bad boy up. Um, obviously, we both believe the Blazers were a big winner. In in a vacuum, Houston is is a winner. Getting Cam at twenty was was a steal. I thought they did what was necessary, taking a, a man at four. They need to trade Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. immediately, immediately, because they have they have too many guys on that roster who think they're him. Amen Thompson cannot please all of those players and get them all the ball. You've got you got Shangun, you got Jabari Smith, Cam, Tari, KPJ. Uh, uh, Jalen Green, like Jay Shantae, like there's there's too many of those dudes. They they need some adults in the room. Like honestly, if you could flip Jalen Green for a guy like Desmond Bain, you need to like that's the type of player that they need there. They need a, a Clay Thompson, Desmond Bain type of shooting guard. I absolutely just dislike Jalen Green's game. I think he's just there's just some interviews I've watched him. I think he thinks his shit don't stink, and it's like. You do not like some of the. You do not like the Jalen Greens and the Paulos. Um, I, I, I think the Jalen Green. I think Paulo his flowers. I see a rookie of the year. He's a great player. I don't think he's a number one. I think he's a great number two. I think Jalen Green much, is much better than you think. But it's I also attitude, think it's attitude and maturity. Like he was on a podcast saying he didn't do rookie duties. He was handing out rookie duties as a rookie. One, that's on Steven Silas for allowing that to happen because that should never happen in an NBA hierarchy. Like that, that comes in thinking like you think you're, you're king shit. Like, no, like you, you just, so I, I, think I, I, I truly don't give a shit about that. I'm just talking about I him on the matters. floor. I, I am just talking about on the floor. He is much better than you think he is. Okay. I, but I, I also I, watch way more Houston than you do because of DFS. I just, I, I do not think he's very good, but we can, uh, I, I think I like the cam pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to worry. No, I though. mean, a man, if, if, I mean, a man in cam, if there's something wrong with his meniscus though, like he's predicated on athleticism. Oh, he's fucked. He's fucked. If there's something wrong with that knee, because he needs both of them to, to look like the athlete that he is. Yeah. He is not a good one foot. I mean, he's, he is a B athlete with one off one. He's an A athlete off of two. And then you're, if he loses any bit of lateral movement, it's an issue. Because yeah. he wasn't the best lateral mover. Anyway, I, I I didn't know about the knee. I just knew about his thumb being the issue. Um, but yeah, I, it's still the like, Jazz did well. It was uh, Taylor and who? They got Taylor at nine, Keontae at 16, and Sensabaugh at 29 or 28. And I, I loved the Taylor Hendricks pick. Yeah, I think the top two are great. Um, Keontae is Jordan Clarkson insurance. Um, that's a fine range to take a player, a combo guard, and then they they took an upside swing with, with Sensabaugh. Mm-hmm. They you know you can always never have you know they've got some good defensive pieces, so you can you can you know take a, a, a offensive minded guy. But I like Hendricks next to Walker Kessler. I think that's just pretty nasty. I, I think I think uh, Keontae will eventually take Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton's job. I mean he he. Colin doesn't have the best shooting in the world. And then Clarkson, like, I know that they're happy with him, like the Utah fans, but eventually that's going to be a lot of money to pay a sixth man. I think Keontae has the ability to be a more efficient, better version of Jordan Clarkson. So, yeah, I think Utah did did really well. And then my last winner was the Dallas Mavericks. Somehow they were able to just... They not only did they get off Davis Bertan's contract um, and trade exception from that, they used their trade exception to absorb Rashawn Holmes, who is a really serviceable center, mm-hmm. which they need talent. They pick up the number twenty-four pick from the Kings and take uh, Omax from from Marquette, who is basically going to fill their Dorian Finney-Smith sized hole that was you know 
empty after moving him for for Kyrie Irving. And then they take Derek Lively, who, you know, they need a rim runner who's going to catch lobs for, from Luca. So, like, yeah. I think Dallas with the limp, they had the 12th, over, the 10th overall pick, and they were able to get all of that um, really smart maneuvering by their GM, uh, Nico Harrison. So I really liked what they did. I like what they did, but I just don't like Lively. I mean, it, it, uh, OKC was a, it was a loser for me. Um, I don't know what they get would, again. They absorbed Davis Bertan's contract to move up two spots and take Kaysen Wallace. I like Talk the Kay- I, I like the move up for Kaysen, but I think you and I have disagree with that. I think that that was a good move. I just don't know where Davis. he plays. I, f- I feel like you, I wouldn't put Josh Giddy on the one to defend. I think that he's just he's going to play two on offense and one on defense. So I I, I like the Kaysen one a lot more than you do. I I I, I was but don't they, I just the I, they have a Lou Dort like I, I just it feels OKC is getting into that problem where they stockpiled so many picks and assets that they're going to have to get in consolidation mode. Like they're they're so deep right now that you're going to have players like fighting each other for playing mm-hmm. time. Because well, just think about when Chet gets there, what's going to happen to Poku? They've got Poku. Yeah. They've, they've got both Jalen Williams. They've got Dort, Giddy. I Shea, think Dort's going to... Three man, like who they spent the first round pick on. Like, it's just, it's a... Right now, without doing their future moves, I, I thought yeah. they didn't need to... Because Dallas wasn't going to take a point guard. Orlando wasn't going to take a point guard. Like, they, they, they traded up two spots for a guy that was going to be there at 12. Like, I, I don't like them taking on Bertans just to get a guy that, that was already there. I thought it was unpresty like I like Kaysen, so. Um, I, I didn't like what the Hornets did. Well, uh, obviously, you saw the fucking, the Twitter about him. Uh, what's his nut? What's Mitch his Kupchak. name? I've, dude, I Mitch had Mitch McConnell in my head, and I didn't want to be such a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really... I just, you don't I mean, want to look like that when you have the second pick and you make it's that. Pick. Not quite as bad as Michael Kidd Gilchrist over Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard, but it could be at, at best. At best. Do you remember how you yeah. thought about Michael Kidd Gilchrist though when he was in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Dog, I would <laughs> I would have been way more happy for Michael Kidd Gilchrist for what I saw at that Kentucky team than Brandon Miller. <laughs> yeah, but knowing what I know now, you yeah, yeah, have, totally. have some resemblance of, of a jump shot. Uh, I learned my lesson with MKG, but I think at best, it's Bradley Beal over Damian Lillard. In, yeah. There's no comparison. Dame is the much better player. I mean, you got to thank you got to thank God that Michael Jordan is still calling some shots, and the Charlotte Hornets are one of the worst drafting teams in the entire league over the course of their franchise. Um, Toronto, I they needed a point guard. I thought there's better value at point guard. Who they get? Grady Dick loses points (laughs) for that fit. One of the worst fits I've ever seen in my entire life. Last loser, and I know you'll disagree with this, but I. Did not like what Orlando did. Um, oh, I did. <laughs> they drafted another guard who can't shoot. And then they could have made up for that by taking Jordan Hawkins, who would have fit perfectly alongside Anthony Black. But they took Jet Howard way too high. Like they, they should have traded back if they wanted Jet. Like it's just, and he, Jet, so now Jet, Franz, and Paulo can't share the same floor. Like I, I, I don't know what they were doing there. Like Jordan Hawkins was. Right there. The, the, uh, can I tell you something that a day after the draft, I don't like Jordan Hawkins in New Orleans. Oh, that's that's an awesome pick because CJ. I mean, there's just no room. CJ's we have to, be we have to make a, condol, condol, a a trade <laughs> to get rid of some of these assets. I, I I don't see him playing this rookie year at all. Probably not, but I think because Willie ain't gonna play no rookie major minutes. I think they envision him playing alongside Dyson Daniels, and I think that's a smart fit. I I don't think it's a good move because of what we have right now. If they consolidate, fucking got that word correctly. I think that he is a okay pick, but I also kind of worry that he's Malik Beasley, where he plays really well in the the regular season and then the off uh, the 
the postseason, they think of him as someone that they don't need to play. So I'm I would have preferred something else, but I really do like Jordan Hawkins as a as a player. I just don't know if New Orleans is the team for him. All right. I think that wraps this episode up. Let our listeners know where they can find us and send this one on home. All right. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, everywhere you where you get your your podcast. We are there. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we are out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.